Welcome to DevSecOps, and this is episode 13. And today it's me and Andre, and, uh, and it's Walt. Or as uh, a consulting call about Walt. Yeah, it's like me as a client calling a consultant and have a bunch of questions regarding Walt. And uh, here are here we get the answers from Andre, and you are uh, really strong player in Walt. I mean, we've seen you talk on HashiCorp about setting up Walt and how long have you been working with Walt? It's from 2017. So, 17. basically before version 1. Before version 1, yeah. Oh. I think I remember also, I think we got like version 09 running. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So let's yeah, so, so They're about to release 1.5 now. Yeah. So it's, it's been a while. Yeah. To start in, do you want to explain what is Walt for people that listen don't have uh, used it before? I'm trying to institute tradition, uh, starting with what we've been working and what, what did we learn? Oh, yeah, true. Let's do that first. Let's do that first. So, you up first. What have you been working with and what have you learned? Um, that's a good question. Well, I'm, uh, I spent some time relocating myself from Canary Islands to Sweden yeah, for a summer. And Sweden is gorgeous for a summer. It's just perfect. It was like, no one is in the city, free public transport. I'm currently at the WeWork in Stockholm. No one in here. I have like the whole co-working space for myself and uh, really enjoying the weather. Really yeah. nice for, for running and being outside. It's not too hot, not too warm. I mean, not too cold, not too hot. So perfect. And Canary Islands is like a boiler plate at this point. So it's yeah. very hot. And uh, work-wise, learning-wise, I'm, I cannot say I've been doing much of interesting, something to share. We did a podcast number 12 with Julian last week, so it's coming up. Yeah. But otherwise, like work, work, I'm mostly like fixing small things, you know, it's uh, working on the stuff that uh, you did before, and uh, now you're just making it better. Uh, yeah. Like small things that you haven't have time before because they're kind of hard. So like you first do like you know eighty percent that takes twenty percent of time, and now yeah. I'm doing those twenty percent that takes eighty percent of time. So yeah. if you if you look from outside, it, it looks like I'm doing like very little progress, but <laughs> I'm actually fighting some really complicated pro- things yeah, in there. But but I, I am progressing. Actually, yeah. actually doing quite a lot of Terraform 0.12 final levels. Lagging behind on a, on a Terraform 0.12. And uh, now I'm mostly doing that and very little of 0.11. So I'm in transition, catching up. Yeah. I see, I see. Cool. I've been on... Uh... Vacation, actually. I've been away for almost two weeks. Not Good touching a computer. Been off one week. Didn't bring my laptop. Hmm. That's strange. Uh, but now I'm back, and I'm also looking at some things that I... You know, you get things working, and then you, you go away from it, and then now I'm coming back. So I'm, I'm working on uh, a scanner, OpenVal scanner, hmm. which is an open-source uh, vulnerability scanner. I have a Helm chart for it to set hmm. up. So I'm just uh, deploying that to my uh, Kubernetes cluster and uh, redoing the Helm chart so it works a little bit better. But what exactly uh, does it scan? It scans for vulnerabilities. You can scan, uh, find hosts in a network. It can find mm. uh, open services, and then it runs a CV scanner on top of them to find like old Apache versions or right. Yeah. So it's uh, like detectify basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more open source, and I think mm. the build. I think it's built from uh, from Nessus. It was the original scanner mm-hmm. that Nexus then bought, but it's the open source one. But I, it's it's a big beast built in Java, and I don't like the the reporting on it because it reports on on a host. Like mm-hmm. every finding is based on a host, and I want the finding to uh, the result to be based on the findings instead. Right. Uh, so I built a small uh, plugin that connects to OpenVals, exports the reports, and then loops through it and 
picks up the, the findings and make them to JSON, and then I spit mm. them over to uh, Elasticsearch so I can more more than I can see problems in the cluster. So, so then I can pick up if I have a old nginx version running. I just mm-hmm. get a get a dashboard in Kibana saying, okay, this is how many of these nginx versions you're running. On. This is the TLS version. Uh, but you can catch that with a container scanner, right? So like if you're running containers and you scan all your containers, technically your container scanner will see that you're installing nginx unless you're compiling it by hand. Yeah. So like it will see that your package manager is installing nginx and it will say like, well, this version of nginx has CVE reported, so it should flag it. Yeah, yeah, but this is if you uh, if you build a container and then deploy it, and then it comes up later that this mm. version is uh, vulnerable. Now the scanner will pick it up in during in runtime. Yeah, so uh, it, it might be useful if your developers are allowed to start some containers that they bring from outside of your organization, like basically pulling from the Docker Hub. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. might might be useful. Yeah, and also picks up. TLS versions, right? You, you mm. can see that, which are in config file. It, it finds also a URL that maybe not should be open. Or, right. Uh, things like that, security problem. But yeah, it's only should, on, should, on network level. Yeah. yeah you, should, you should show me that thing. Maybe one day we should spend because I need to do something like that. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, OpenVOS is only one of the tools. I also build uh, wrappers around uh, Nikto and something. Mm. They are and map and things as well. And then I get right. result, made in JSON, shoot them over to Elastic, and then use Kibana to, mm. to visualize, visualize them. Yeah. All okay. right. Let's jump, let's jump into Vault. What is Vault, Andre? And how... Yeah. Just well, Vault is, is a secret management solution from the HashiCorp, which is... It's actually like more than secret managed solution because like when you say secret manager, you might think as a secure place where you would put your passwords, like a password manager, right? Yeah, yeah. But it is actually more than that. So Vault gives you a possibility to store static credentials, like something that you kind of generate like your SSL certificate that you got from DigiCert. You can yeah. generate that on the fly, and that's oh. a static piece of information that you need to store somewhere securely. Vault yeah. will be a good place to do that. But on top of that, it provides you with much more capabilities, which are dynamic secrets. So Vault can connect to many systems and provision temporary credentials in those systems. Well, they won't be a temporary from the system point of view, but the way it works, you might ask Walt, like the typical example will be a database. It will, you will ask Walt, give me a credentials to this database. And instead of giving you a static root credentials, Walt yes. will use all static root credentials to actually log into database, create a username and a password there, and return those to you. And it will start a timer. So you will have a TTL on those credentials. So as soon as the timer expires, Walt will go in and revoke those. So which means that even if you leak the credentials that Walt gave you, the person who gets hold of those credentials will have a very limited time to exploit them, which which is really nice. Another thing which is nice that every workload you have will get its own set of credentials. So there is no credentials reuse, which means if something being leaked, like you see like the data exfiltration happening from your database, and you could straight away see which set of credentials doing that. And science, you could point out what exactly workload is doing that. So, which means that the way for the time you spend for remediation, finding the issue and addressing that is much more shorter comparing to you have a shared set of credentials that everyone is using. So you see that someone is logging into the database, but you have no idea who it is. You might have like a source IP address, but you have no idea who is behind. Is it like a workload itself or like, you don't know. 
And yeah. another thing is that when you have a shared set of credentials, you cannot just revoke them because you're going to break everything. Yeah, yeah. And here you have a set of credentials per every workload, like per every container, basically. So you have uh, instance of your application which runs 20 replicas of it, right? 20 containers, like the same containers, and every of which con- every container will get its own credential. So if one yeah. gets compromised, you know which exactly. So which which is which is very convenient, and also like when you do the audit reports, it's powerful. Yeah. And that's a, so you're getting basically audit trail, which is you usually don't have with shared credentials. For instance, I struggled on AWS to get meaningful uh, audit log for RDS. Since if you're using the static credentials for RDS, you have no idea who it is coming into the database. Like, really? No, no idea. Well, you might get a, a guess, but there is very little in a way how you can prove that or make sure that it's exactly that workload or exactly that person. Yeah. Also, you could use RDS IM house, which will, instead of the password generate like a signed credential thingy, but all the signing and generation is happening on the client using like your AWS credentials, but it doesn't surface in CloudTrail. So what you see is that the user is logging in and it's still the same, the username is still static. Yeah. The user just logins with a different password all the time. I mean, which is way better comparing to static password, but you yeah. still cannot do audit properly. Science, it's still yeah. the same static username and you have no idea who it is. Yeah. Like on a serverless databases like Dynamo, Aurora, I think there you actually they'll actually log in or connect. It's surfacing in the cloud trail, so which is better than you can use cloud trail for auditing. But those RDS databases are a little bit tough in that sense, and uh, then you could use Vault for this. And what's also nice is uh, HashiCorp is aiming for multi-cloud with all their tools, so they are positioning their tools as a tools for multi-cloud deployment. And you could use Vault exactly in the same way as you would use it in the cloud on-premise. And you will have the same audit logs, the same capabilities, which is great. Science building such things on-premise is way harder and takes a lot of effort. And uh, you might don't have that much resources available to build that. And you could bridge this gap with Vault. And so what you're getting is, as I said, audit. You get break glass procedure. You're getting a shift from static credentials to dynamic credentials. And on top of that, you also have like PKI capabilities. So you could use Vault to, as your public key infrastructure. And they have uh, some enterprise features there as well, which I, I'm not going to touch at this moment. But it's a, it's a solid solution for almost yeah. every stuff you can think of. And they're building integrations more and more, like with every version getting more and more integrations with different tools that you could use to get the credentials from, like RabbitMQ yeah. and so on and so on. Like for AWS, you can get the temporary kills. However, like if you if you sold your soul to the one cloud provider, like for instance, if you decided that like I am with AWS, no matter what, like AWS is my company. Yeah. So, so, or like GCP or Azure. I would argue that you could achieve almost everything I mentioned right now with uh, cloud provider capabilities. Like in AWS, you can do like the credential rotations. You could do a lot of temporary credentials through STS. So like you could, you could kind of get most of the stuff that you're getting from Vault. Maybe not as good, but yeah. comparable. If you, if you're using one, Exactly one cloud. If you want to go multi-cloud, yeah, there is like there is like no alternative really, mm. or like hybrid cloud. It's we, just Vault, yeah. Yeah, and like with RDS, I talked to the AWS support. They're saying that they're trying to fix it so you could get cloud trail ref, uh, event when people are logging in with yeah. uh, with RDS IMOs, but they don't have any timeline. So like for instance with RDS, right? You kind yeah. of stuck 
like with Postgre, uh, with a Redshift, where you need credentials, you stuck. So you need something else. And it looks like that there is a vault, basically, as far as I know, is the only alternative to get the dynamic credentials to minimize your exposure and also get a decent audit log. But I'm not security professional in any matter. I just, this is a tool that I'm using and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. And I'm uh, pretty sure no. there might be other tools, but this tool, this tool I like. This tool yeah. I do recommend. So I have a, a list of questions for you. Say that you have a Kubernetes cluster and you're right. running on AVS. You want to mm. install, you want to use Vault. Right. I mean, is it, do you want to run Vault inside the cluster? Or, for example, you want to split it out and use it as a VM? Or, I mean, in the cluster, all the apps are running as well. It's simple to spin up Vault. You have KubeBot, which is pretty simple to get started. Uh, but it's also in the cluster with everything else. Maybe you want to break it out and have it more secure. Yeah, I, would, I, I would split it away to the separate cluster, or if it's too much hassle and too expensive to get a se- se- separate cluster, I would do like ECS or something, or yeah. the VMs. But I I don't think it's a good idea to host it together with applications because applications might, might be hacked and then it's your vault installation is just one step away. And yeah. if they're in the same cluster, it's kind of easy to get to those containers. So I would. Yeah, you want to separate them from, from the yeah. workloads, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another thing with, with hosting vault is you have the storage, right? The storage right. when the encrypted uh, secrets are stored. Yeah. Uh, where typically do you, do you use for. for uh, for storing the wallet, uh, they have uh, plenty of backend supported. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not up to date with the list of them, but I'm, as far as I recall, there are like Dynamo, you could use S3. Yeah, so, yeah. With, you need to have a locking. So, like, like, I mostly use Dynamo, and Dynamo seems to be working just fine. Okay. Cool. Uh, in the recent version, they released internal storage. So, Vault. Can use consensus algorithms to yeah. to store everything internally, but yeah. uh, then you really need to back it up and actually make sure that you don't just yeah. destroy all three machines at the same time because then, then you're screwed. Yeah. You just yeah, yeah. deleted all your secrets. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Another so, problem with the storage is also that it's, it's sealed, right? The vault uh, secret storage is sealed and you have to unseal it. Yeah, to get yeah, access. Yeah, that's, to... that's not a problem really on AWS because they open sourced out unseal with KMS. Yeah. So you so you just use KMS to out unseal. It's super easy to con- configure. Basically, give it a KMS key ID and say just use it, and yeah, that's basically yeah. it. So, so what it, what it means is that when you start up Vault, you have a small uh, on Kubernetes, or a small sidekick container, a small app that you. Fetches the key from AWS and then no no this. no Vault Vault use Vault itself uses its KMS aware so it okay. can go to KMS and use that KMS key to decrypt whatever it needs to decrypt and then so, unseal the Vault yeah yeah so the, I might be wrong here so I'm not exactly no I I I don't. Exactly remember I attended the training and it was explained, but I don't exactly remember. So you would rather check it. But the way it works, like when you unseal it manually, like by default, you get five keys and you need three keys to unseal. Yeah. Yeah. What unseal means is that it will use those pieces of keys to deconstruct the master key that it is using to then. Decrypt the store, secret storage. Yeah. So when it's when the vault is putting up, it cannot use the secrets because it doesn't have a master key. Yeah. So you provide the pieces of the keys, and then it will use those to generate the master, regenerate the master key, which is very clever. Yeah. When you do KMS, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, it will be using KMS key to encrypt the master key. So it will still have a master key, but it will encrypt the 
uh, master key with a KMS key. So when it's booting up and it has access to KMS and the key you provide it with, and I think the good idea here would be to create a custom customer managed key so you yeah. so you don't use the generic KMS key there managed by AWS because then you, you could you you could uh, really limit access to that key, making sure it's only Walt can touch that one. Yeah, because so, if you lose the key, the the vault is all the secrets are gone, right? Yeah, but like with KMS, the probability of that happening is like super small. Yeah. So, but what you could do is you could uh, do KMS key with uh, customer provided material. So, yeah. in that sense, you have a material, and you can recreate the key if needed. Yeah. So if 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 it happens so that key, uh, that uh, AWS screw up and somehow loses your key, I never yeah. heard of that, but I haven't googled like for kids. Maybe it's happening, yeah. but I, I think there's a, there should be some kind of protection. It, it, I mean, it's safe. Okay, using yeah. cameras is safe. It's safer than you can do on site. Yeah. yeah. And else, like if you're using your old material, you will need to protect the material. Yeah. So. Zero cool, secret cool. problem. Yeah. Another problem I see is like now we, let's say we have the vault running, we have the, the storage backend is done, we can unseal it, like we need to get some secrets into vault. Right. Like we say that we have they are not dynamic, we have uh, API uh, keys to a third party endpoint. I'm struggling, I need to open up and give access to people. People need access to write and read and add secrets. Uh, how, yeah, how do you so usually work with this? Yeah, so here we need to introduce a couple of concepts that we haven't spoken yeah. about before. And uh, it's a token and a policy. So every yeah. time you talk to Walt, you need to have a Walt token. Yeah. And uh, you get the Walt token in exchange on some other credentials. Yes. Well, actually, when you unsee when you initialize the Walt, you get those five keys that you need for unsealing, and you need to store those securely. And uh, you will get a root token. So a root yeah. token is like a god mode. You could use this token to log into Walt and do whatever you want. You don't want your developers to have this token no, and no, no. you actually don't want anyone to have this token so what i usually recommend is you take your root token and you use that to generate policies and uh, configure auth methods so then you could use some other auth method to generate usual tokens with, with the policies attached and those policies should be sufficient to manage the rest of the world yeah. And then you take this root token and revoke it. Like, revoke yeah. it. Like, don't store it. <laughs> like, make sure it's n- never seen in anywhere. Like, yeah. revoking is the best option you can have because people cannot steal what you don't have. Right? Yeah. And if you ever need the root token again, which is very, very unlikely. Uh, then you could use those initial keys that you got for Vault to generate a new root token. And it ah, okay. it's, it's kind of takes a little bit of hoops, so you need to run multiple commands, but this yeah. is how you want it to be. You don't want it to, to have like people generating root, root tokens left and right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it should be hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and with policies and, and things, do you also divide Vault into like Dev or prod environment, or uh, do you store different walls uh, for different environments? I would say that depends on you. Depends how your environment is structured. Yeah. <coughs> so, for instance, uh, you might have um, you might have a production cluster, right? Yeah. If you speak Kubernetes, and uh, in that production cluster, in a separate namespace, you might have like a pre-prod environment. Then yeah. you're using your one cluster for like staging and production. You could have two separate cl- clusters and two separate accounts, another option. Yeah. So then your world setup will pretty much behave or depend on uh, how the rest of your infrastructure is yeah. configured. Yeah. So 
if you if you run one cluster with two environments inside one cluster in one account, then you probably have one vault, and within vault you do a logical separation. Yeah. If you're using different accounts and you just have multiple instances of vault, you could even like run vault in a different account completely. Yeah. And then expose it API via via VPC peering, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And that, in that sense, you make sure that like if something like happening in that account where you have vault running, right? Like someone spin up EC2 there. Yeah. That's a high severity warning. Yeah, shouldn't yeah, be yeah. happening there because it just runs vault. There should be nothing like that in there. So there are options, and I would say it depends. Depends yeah. how everything else is done. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Now we have it. I mean, secrets, you need to store them in, in, in vault in the secure backend, but the best approach is, of course, to only use dynamic secrets. Yeah, when uh, you can. When you can. It's not possible, maybe always, but, but still. But uh, And then you set up vault to talk directly to, to the services. We talk about uh, AWS services and, and cloud providers, of course, simple to get. Uh, I think we, have, we haven't covered till the end, like the tokens, right? So we started to talk about that. So yeah. the way it works is like, for instance, you can configure LDAP house method, right? Yeah. That will allow developers to use their LDAP credentials to log into Vault and get a token. Yeah. And then depending on LDAP groups they're in, you can tell Vault to assign a certain policies to the token. Yeah. Yeah. So and uh, for applications, you can use some other credentials. So, for instance, your applications running in Kubernetes, they can use um, a system account. Is it called system account at Kubernetes? A yeah. GVT token that the application get, And uh, exchange that one to the wall token automatically. That, oh, because nice. that's basically a non-interactive notification. So then the vault, when it receives the house request with this JVT token, it will yeah. go to Kubernetes and say like, well, Kubernetes, there is someone coming with this JVT token. Is it for real? And yeah. Kubernetes says, yeah, that token is legit. Yeah. Let them in. And, uh, <laughs> then depending what you configured, uh, Kubernetes will return, uh, Vault will return the token with the policies attached. And then application can use that token to communicate with Vault and get application's needs, assuming the policies attached to the token allows reading of yeah. those secrets. Do, do you do some different policy? I don't know. I had this crazy idea that uh, enables uh, developers only to write uh, Secrets, so they can only add new secrets. For example, the API key to something. Yeah, but they they need to also verify what they are, right? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. But the plan was if you only have write, you cannot see what's in there. So if you go in, you can't look at other secrets. Yeah, technically, you don't have to check. I mean, because instead of checking, you can just overwrite all the time. Yeah, exactly. And then the opposite for for apps, they can only read, right? If you app, you can only read secrets. You can't. Yeah, I'm not sure about yeah. this developer thing, but only read nah. for applications <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And only yes. application. I mean, that you would do a separate KV. I mean, the KV is basically set of the K value. Yeah. K value items, and uh, that's what you use in Vault for static credentials. Then you would generate a KV KV secret. For every every application, and they, and they will have a separate pass. So, like everything in Vault is a, a URL pass based. Yeah, exactly. So, and then in policy, you could say, like this application can only read this pass. Yes. And in that sense, your application can only read its own secrets, what it's supposed to be reading. Yeah. So, yeah, if good. if some other application gets compromised, and they will try to use that token to or it's someone else, then it will not work and you will get a warning. So, yeah. I mean, you have like a vault audit log and you could see it from the audit log, but you will have to build automation to warn on this. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you lock it down on path. So, it, for example, secret slash web one, 
uh, that's the path in in Vault, and you have your secrets for your application called Web One in there. And then Kinda. when your your Web One application starts, it has a service account and a token, and it goes to Vault. Saying, okay, yeah, service account, know. not system account, yeah. right? It's ah, service account. Yeah, service account. That's yeah, the correct that's name. A, and then give me all the secrets from Web One and get the secrets. Yeah. But it cannot yeah, go exactly. to Web Two because that would be blocked. So that this is yeah. Nice if 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 the policy problem. doesn't allow, so you need yeah. to make sure that. What I, I did is uh, for the customer that I we have like um, a Terraform model that generates the policies, sets up the the, the secrets. So it's yeah. done in a unified way and. We always know that the application policies, they always read and they only read one thing and that's what belongs to application. Yeah. But uh, the, the complicated part there, like with the Kubernetes, is how exactly you integrate your application with Vault. Yeah. Since you have a couple of ways here, like one way is you keep, um, you can make your application Vault aware. So you could build in Vault SDK and then have application to go to Vault and fetch whatever it needs. Yeah. Might be good, might be bad, because here then you make application dependent on Vault. So if developer wants to troubleshoot locally, test locally, yeah, and uh, it doesn't have access to Vault, then it's kind of screwed. You can yeah. do 12 factor up where you would pass all, all the stuff through environment variables. Yes. And uh, then you would need some kind of automation that on the start of the application, of the application container will, first of all, authenticate into the world, get the token, then use the token to read the proper secret, and yeah. then pass those as environment variables to the application process. So yeah. HashiCorp, they have an open source tool called EnfConsole. Exactly. Yeah, I looked at that. And uh, that one could uh, read information from console, but could also read information from Vault, and then start your application as a sub-process and pass all environment variables to your application. So in that way, your secrets doesn't surface as environment variables within the container, because yeah. it's only for this process that only this process that started by Elf console gets those environment variables. So if there is a separate process in the container, like Intruder, for instance, managed yeah. to get a shell, then, and assumes that your application is not running as root, then it will be much harder for that guy to read those secrets. Because if he's as root, he can actually go and see the process environment variables in the yeah. Linux file system. But if it's not, then it's much harder. Then, then yeah. he will have to do a privilege escalation before he can yeah. do that. Yeah, this is a yeah, it's it's, it's a good approach to how how do you get the the secrets from what into application. Yeah, those are there are problems. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, if your token expires, yeah, uh, exactly. well, the um, end console will try to get. <coughs> We'll get a new. We had this problem, like uh, the container will get connection issues to Vault, and then console cannot uh, cannot renew the token. And that's yeah. another concept that we didn't spoke about. So the way it works is the token have TTL, yeah. and uh, you if you want to use the token longer, you have to renew it on a regular interval, making sure yeah. it doesn't expire. And that was the problem. So Enf console is taking care of renewing the token and uh, it wasn't able to connect to the world. So eventually it got a new token, but it didn't restart the application. Oh no, we had, a first we had it differently. We had a vault agent as a sidecar. Yeah. And then it could pass a token via volume to the, to the initial, to the application container and then, like, Vault agent cannot connect to the world. It gets a new token, and if console have no idea that there is a new token, and the application runs with all leases, and that's actually bad in case if you are using dynamic credentials, because as soon as your token is revoked, 
all the dynamic secrets that code created with that token, they will be revoked as well. So for yeah. instance, if application gets the temporary AWS credentials through Vault, then, uh, and token expires, those credentials got revoked, but application keeps running with, an, with invalidated credentials, which is bad because then it cannot do what it, what it's supposed to be doing and application should have a logic to handle that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not always does. So that might be a problem. Then we change that to to use a init container. So we would run a init container with a vault agent. Vault agent would authenticate to vault, get a token, pass it to env console, and env console runs an application container. Env console then will take care of renewing the container but still, it doesn't restart if the, if the token expires, yeah. which is which is bummer. So we actually had a, we had a side process that basically looks for the certain errors and then kills the container okay. if, if if the some container starts to produce those. But technically, yeah. like if you are running on EKS, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. uh, Amazon uh, Kubernetes cluster. You yeah. could have AWS IAM instance profile for your containers. So you don't really need Amazon credential. I mean, temporary credentials through Vault if you if you are using this approach, or like if you're running yeah. on yes, yes. If you're doing like Nomad, then yeah. you can, you cannot do that. So you will have to have a temporary credentials. Or if you're running like your own Kubernetes that you set up on EC2s, then you cannot use instance profiles per container, and you have to do Vault then. That's what yeah. you have to do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's cool. And now um, let's talk about talking about uh, dynamic secrets. I think it's a super interesting approach to have Vault as a service. You ask it for credentials to uh, some database or some other endpoints, and Vault goes creates temporary access for you and return it to your application, and then and you're good to go. Uh, but there are some things you need to set up. First, you need to set up Vault to to the, to the service provider. I mean, the cloud provider is simple, but have you ever set it up to like a MySQL server or some other? Yeah, yeah. yeah some other like standalone, like a MongoDB. Can you do that to those services yeah. as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure you can do MongoDB. I haven't done MongoDB myself, but I think there should be a connector. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the workflow is like you start your container and, and as I said before, you have an init container or something and then you have your end console that uh, talks to Vault. Yeah, but that's only for application, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so let's say I'm checking the secret engines currently and oh, okay. they do have MongoDB Atlas. Yeah, okay. I'm not okay. sure if it's something you, you want, but it's it's there. And there are also databases. Let's see if I expand that one. For databases, it can do Cassandra, Elasticsearch, HANA DB, InfluxDB, MongoDB, MongoDB Atlas, MySQL, MySQL MariaDB, Oracle, PostgreSQL, Redshift, and Custom. Wow. Okay. So it's so it has quite to... a lot of stuff. Yeah. It could also generate a temporary SSH keys if you like, so which is really nice. Yeah, 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 it is. It is cool. So, so what it means is actually that uh, you have your, your token and Vault create a temporary access for you and then Vault keep track of uh, your token TTL and then when your token expires, it also kills the credential it is set up for you. Yeah, so those credentials called leases and they are attached yeah. to the token and it's basically a hierarchical structure. And uh, then, then starts from the top. Like you can yeah. revoke the lease itself, and yeah, also okay. you need to renew the leases, not only the token. Yeah. And this is where the Elf console is really handy, because if you use Elf console to read leases and uh, that gives you a dynamic credentials, then Elf console could also keep track of those and renew them for you. In that sense, you basically your application doesn't really know anything about the world. It just no. gets its credentials through environment variables. Yeah. But it would be handy for application to be able to handle a situation where, where um, 
credentials are expiring, and developers doesn't really count on that. Never. No, exactly. No, no. I, I mean, like we we getting the database password. It's never gonna change. Yeah. We're getting like AWS keys. Never gonna change. <laughs> and and they they doesn't handle it well. No, so no. and you don't really need to do much. I think the best would be just to panic. I mean, like exactly. yeah, my yeah. database password is expired. I can't do anything about that. No. I'm just gonna die. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> let the operator know that the container is restarting and handles its mess. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good approach, uh, actually. <laughs> you know, fail fast. Yeah, fail fast. I think it's a good approach. So, I mean, that's what you can do. You set it up. You have your application. Goes to Vault. Get some. Uh, uh, temporary c- uh, credential login when they are uh, changed, your application just died and you're in a container and, and conf- make sure that you get new credential that works again. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it might, might, might be a good approach to have um, maybe a library that uh, runs um, you know, the background check for your credentials. Yeah. If, if you're if your application, for instance, doesn't write to the database actively, yeah. right? If it doesn't sparse writes or sparse reads, you don't want to wait for those reads to happen to know to figure out that your that your <coughs> yeah. credentials sure. expired because then yeah. it will be failed call and <laughs> missed the revenue or maybe something worse. Yeah. So it's better to just run a background check on like is my database is password is still okay yeah yes keep running no die yeah but so. can you also get the ttl when you get the credentials can you get like uh time when they expire that you can check yeah yeah like, yeah you, you get all you, you get all this information but then like if you build this into the application application becomes world yeah. aware and yeah. i would argue you would want to keep it not aware for instance yeah. if yeah. you create some kind of end-to-end, any type of test environment where you might not have world and you might just want to send the dummy values in there. Yes, yes, yes. Right, so... True, true, true. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting comp- uh, concept it's with dynamic credential. It's going to... For me, it sounds like uh, less encrypt for TLS. Don't have to worry about kind TLS of. anymore. This is going to be the same for... for uh, for for secrets, I mean, set it up and then make the apps uh, really like in a container something that starts up and fetch it uh, the secret from Vault and then have it running. It's uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's also reduces a lot of headache when it comes to dealing with people, right? So yeah, like I wrote a bunch of scripts that developers would use when they yeah. come come in at work. They run the script, script gets them temporarily yeah. as credentials and the rest of the stuff they need to do the work. Yeah. But uh, then, uh, after eight hours, it just revokes everything. Yeah, uh, people are fine with that because then they can just get a new one if they yeah. need. If they don't, then it's done. I mean, we, we we don't have any credentials exposed during the night or anything like that. The people got, yeah. and also you could uh, quite easily generate a different uh, access privilege levels credentials. Science I configured as roles in walls, so I could say like I'm getting into the new LDAP group temporarily, and uh, then I get a new token with new policies assigned that gives me a temporary access to the more privileged stuff that I might be needing, right? Yeah, and yeah. Everyone might have like read by default, and then when I need to write, I just get a token with the right access. I mean, yeah. the tokens that would allow me to get the lease with the right access, whatever I need. But the complicated part is policies, really. Like the policies is a pain in the back to figure out. But when um, you have them, you have them, yeah. And uh, I would say it would be different for every company. So every company would structure it the same way. So I cannot say that there are like a training, you know, the generally applied principles that would work everywhere. Like least privilege principle, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. other than that, I, I I would struggle to suggest something because it's very much depends on uh, how company is structuring their work, yeah, and so, how restrictive they want to be. So yeah, so so cool. Now we have a, a vault uh, running. We have dynamic secrets. Everything is happy. But uh, one thing that comes to me is also like how 
have you any advice how you monitor and secure Vault to make sure that it's always running, that it's working, uh, securing, we have great logs. Of course, you have some tools for them. Are there some specific things that you always set up? Okay, I'm going to monitor CPU and Vault. If the CPU peaks, then I'm in trouble. Or it's just monitor web traffic, make sure that you get good rate of 200s. Yeah, so it's pretty much depends on your context where it runs, your, you know, your runtime environment, because on EC2, there will be one, on in a container, on GCS, or Kubernetes, or Nomad, it will be different type of story. And um, yeah, so you want to lock the box. You don't want anyone yeah. going there. So that's the first thing you do. Yeah. And uh, if people need to go there, you want that event to be a auditable event, right? So you might want to keep SSIH running if you're running on VM. Now you want yeah. to lock down the security group. So if someone needs to go, they have to open security group first, yeah. which means that they have to need a privilege to do that. And when they do that, you get uh, you get um, a ping. You get the event. You get the yeah. uh, sorry, got a little bit distracted here on the background. You get a CloudTrail event that then you can audit and you can see that yes, someone modified and you could monitor the cloud trail and see, oh, oh someone opened port, uh, port 22 for the world. Yeah. Who is that? Why are they doing that? Yeah. And then just so people don't need to do this, they you need to extract as much as you can. You, you do, you stream out logs, you stream out telemetry. There is a Prometheus, uh, they have like a Prometheus exporter if you want to. And uh, also, you need to stream out the audit log. Yeah. So you need to enable audit log because as far as I remember, it used to be disabled by default. I don't know how it is now. And then you will need to find a way how to stream it, maybe store it somewhere, and also protect that location so uh, those logs not being tampered with. Cool, cool, if cool. you go to the learnhashicorp.com and yeah. search for Vault, they actually have a hardening guide there. Oh, and nice. they also have a reference architecture that people could use. Uh, that would be a good start. Plus, in my talk, I mentioned that uh, there are ready-to-use Terraform models. There is a Helm chart. So yeah. I would start with those and then tweak them as you need it. Yeah, because they're not ideal science. They don't really know your context where you're going to run it, but they assume a little bit. However, it's still like you will need to do uh, some groundwork yourself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my list of questions is now empty. Well, I've taken them all and then you answer a lot of the questions. Oh, that, you have that, a, was, that wasn't much. <laughs> but it was, everything was covered. I mean, how you install it, how you use it dynamic secrets and, and also a lot about how you can use it with the apps. I mean, that's, I think it's kind of simple to set up Vault. I'm good setting up services. I have it running, but then we also need to start using Vault uh, with the application to get it the most as powerful as it can be with dynamic secrets. Yeah. Uh, so I actually have a uh, recordings from the conferences. So I, and, um, I gave the same, a talk that covers similar thing that we discussed now yeah. on HashiConf last month. That was a big privilege for me to speak there. I I see the HashiConf as like one of the best tech conferences we have nowadays. Yeah. I'm always eager to attend. And um, I, but I did a longer talk there. I was limited to 25 minutes, but I did a longer talk, like 50 minutes, on DevOps Pro Europe, covering yeah. the same concept, having more slides. And more time to cover them, so I I think I will link that to show notes. Plus, yeah, like please, in 2019, yeah. I did a talk on integrating with Kubernetes and like using Terraform for that and giving giving lots of examples. That talk is a little bit outdated, but yeah. uh, the biggest thing that happened since and the HashiCorp they released uh, Vault Injector. You know there is a mutating webhook in Kubernetes. Yes. This concept. So they built a mutating mutating webhook, which basically injects the world agent if you need it, and that's available open source. You don't have to build it yourself. Yeah. Like it wasn't there 
back when I need it. So I actually mm. build one myself. And uh, it still kind of fits better into the environment where we use it comparing to the HashiCorp one because it's quite general. But yeah. if you need one, like and you're just starting, I would take the HashiCorp, what the HashiCorp build, and yeah. use that as a springboard to build what you need. Because yeah. most probably it will do the basics, but it might not do it exactly as you want it. And then you can just adjust it a little bit for your needs. But it's still much better comparing to, you know, building it yourself from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, uh, I, I think I have all the answers I need to get started and, and work with Vault. And I think, uh, I hope that people listen also uh, have a good understanding of what Vault can do and how you can start using it. Uh, what's your if, uh, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to say if people have more questions, uh, or if you go to devsec, devsecops.fm, that's the web, yeah. web address, there we're going to have a um, link to the show notes. You will find the episode there. Yeah. And uh, there I will link the HashiCorp thingy. I will link the, my talks. I will link the hardening guide. I will link the reference architecture. So there's going to be a lot of links that you want to look at. And yeah. also at jeffsecops.fm, you will find a link to our Gitter channel that you can join using your GitHub credentials or Twitter yeah. credentials, whatever you have. And then you can chat there with us. And if you have more questions, just ask there. Plus, yeah. uh, you can come over and suggest topics for new episodes. If something that you want to have covered that you haven't spoke about, or just, you know, just say hello. Yeah. It sounds good. And with those words, I will say thank you for listening. Thank See. you. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcasts and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.